Hi, and welcome to History Respond. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Saboteur, developed by Pandemic Studios and published by Electronic Arts in 2009. Saboteur is a GTA clone that follows an Irish race car driver named Sean Devlin in Nazi-occupied France during the Second World War. Saboteur is an older historical game, but is a game that points towards some of the more recent trends in historical games about the Second World War. My guest on today's episode is Peter Vandenhede, who is a lecturer and researcher at the Department of History at Erasmus University, Rotterdam. His research focuses on the study of historical culture and the Second World War. He's the author of a recent article in Games and Culture entitled Replaying Wartime Resistance, Studying Ludic Memory Making in the Open World Game, The Saboteur. He's also the author of a dissertation entitled Engaging with the Second World War Through Digital Gaming, which you can find online. Peter, welcome to History Respond. Yeah, uh, happy to, hear, uh, to be here. Uh, happy to be here, and uh, thank you very much uh, for having me. Of course. Um, so, Peter, what, what drew you to studying the Saboteur? Because uh, this is kind of an older game. Uh, it was a game that I felt kind of came and went uh, when it at least came out here in the States in 2009 uh, but it does have some interesting i guess depictions of the second world war so what what drew you to this game in particular uh yeah i would say that the interest is substantial and mostly drawn from my historical background so not the game per se because i know that uh, there were some problems with the launch of the game also so i know that it kind of came and went but mm-hmm. i think there's quite a bit of stuff in there that just substantially makes it kind of an interesting case study. So that's how I arrived at it. Um, I would say, I guess, two things. Uh, First off, I think it offers a pretty solid case study to delve a little bit deeper in open world games as a genre. Mm -hmm. Like I think there's quite a bit of stuff on Assassin's Creed, for example, um, but this game, well, thematically it has a specific setting. And at the same time, I also feel that open world games could use some more work so in that sense, this game offered like a pretty good case study for that to delve a little bit deeper in uh, the ins and outs of the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one point. The second point that I would highlight is, um, so when I started working on this topic, World War II and video games, um, you know, many of the games that were available were the uh, were the first Call of Duty games. Um, and uh, a lot of the scholarship at the time uh, was written by U.S. scholars yes. uh, who would then look at Call of Duty uh, as, you know, it's a rehash of, you know, the good war story. Uh, the greatest generation is is depicted in here. Uh, so it's very much, it closely connects to, for example, U.S. memory discourses uh, mm-hmm. about World War II. Um, and so the reason why I wanted to then, you know, expand on this game in particular is because it has a more direct connection in a way with the European experience of the war. Mm-hmm. Um, the game chooses Paris, uh, occupied Paris during the war as its setting, and that gives a very good starting ground to talk a little bit about, well, you know, what the European experience, the continental experience of the war was like. Um, and, you know, things like occupation, collaboration, those were like key aspects of the war experience in continental Europe. And also in the memory discourses afterwards, like how uh, memory of the Second World War 
continued to be present, a lot of these conversations related to what the occupation had been and what had happened then. Um, so coming from that perspective myself, I mean, I'm a Belgian person, I live and work in the Netherlands, so I'm very familiar with these you know, European memory discourses. So coming from that, I thought, oh, this is a very good case study to kind of unpack the game uh, gaming from that perspective a little bit. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and I think, you know, speaking as an American who often teaches American undergrads, um, you know, it is very much the case that there is no memory, no understanding, not even really much, um, you know, discourse in the classroom and often not in scholarship of this idea of what you're talking about with occupation and yeah. collaboration, right? That's just not a part of the Great War uh, narrative uh, in the States. And yeah, I wonder, you know, yeah. I think given the game's um, kind of setup, being an open world game, being uh, a GTA-like or a GTA clone, um, I wonder if some players maybe were thrown by that a little bit. You know, I think I think they could understand perhaps the kind of open world nature of it. You know, this is a game that fits mm, in pretty yeah. well with open world games of the mid to late 2000s in terms of mechanics and in terms of graphics, in terms of what yeah, you would expect yeah. from a game. But I think in terms of the setting, I wonder if they were a bit thrown by an, uh, you know, an Irish protagonist and then yeah, a version yeah. of the Second World War, which they may have not been familiar with unless they were, you know, somehow familiar with, you know, older World War II movies that depicted, uh, you know, the resistance in France, for instance. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's definitely a possibility um, for a North American audience. I mean, it's like the fact that they already choose for this Irish protagonist because then we avoid some of the politics in there. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's a very European thing to be doing because that's what you need to do in order to make this work. Um, that makes it a bit more complicated already. So um, this could definitely have been one of the factors that maybe, uh, yeah, maybe made it a bit more confusing than what other games would have been. Yeah, I think that that's, Definitely a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you write about this in your article uh, for Games and Culture, but, you know, the Second World War, as you said at the top, is kind of a tired game genre in the sense that yeah, yeah. there's so exactly, many yeah. Second World War games. Um, you know, they keep coming out. Uh, they keep traveling over the same ground in terms of the Allied war effort, um, you know, Normandy, the Western Front, etc. Um, so I'm wondering, do you think this game, the Saboteur, do you think it deserves any credit for kind of refocusing that traditional narrative of the war? Uh, well, what I would say about that is, um, on the one hand, it does choose this like kind of unfamiliar perspective. And I think that that certainly deserves more expansion. I would actually like to see more people give it a shot, right? Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I, I do think that um, purely in terms of the themes that the game addresses or the storylines that it presents, um, in its own way, it's also very much a rehashing of, well, the action movies or the adventure movies that also American audiences and other audiences will be familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of Indiana Jones in there. Uh, even Die Hard is a reference point. The developers talk about that themselves. So I think it presents this interesting take 
um, that could be expanded upon. At the same time, it is also something that very much resides within these older things that we've seen many times as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I would be a bit mixed on that uh, in in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, but so maybe expanding on that a little bit. Um, what I would say though is, um, and this is also one of the things what drew me to this game, the topic of occupation and collaboration. Um, I think what this game does is. It gives you some rendition of what that could be in a game form. And I think from a historical perspective, I, I very much look at it as, well, this doesn't really work. I mean, it works as an entertainment game, but not as a historical take on this topic. Yes. Um, and, and in that sense, I do think that it kind of presents a counterexample of what not to do, but then at the same time also kind of provides inspiration on how to think a little bit further, perhaps, um, on what you could do if you would want to talk about occupation. Um, and then there are other games, like you have your paper pl Papers, Pleases uh, from a couple of years ago, that I think also address a topic like this in one way or another. Um, and, and perhaps that could be expanded upon more. So in that sense, Saboteur is also a bit of a counterexample of, you know, if you really want to take this seriously, then maybe go a different route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, you know, thinking back to 2009, I'm wondering how much the developers uh, were setting out to make a game like this and maybe hoping to be a bit more serious, but maybe feeling a bit constrained by uh, the common nomenclature of open world games of the mid to late 2000s, yeah. right? Because this is very much a... Uh, GTA clone, not just in terms yeah. of mechanics, but then also kind of in terms of, uh, you know, schlocky, uh, pulpy, uh, satirical, uh, you know, nonsensical, Looney Tunes-esque uh, narrative yeah. as well. So I wonder if there was yeah, any yeah, of yeah. that going on. Uh, I, I think we, so we very much have to view this game as, in a way, pre- uh, Wolfenstein The New Order, mm -hmm. uh, that might be a bit, a lot of credit for that particular game, but I do think that uh, the Wolfenstein reboots um, kind of caused a bit of a tonal shift or, or certainly precipitated it. Yes. Um, I think that, like, indeed, like, the Saboteur is, in that sense, also very much, it belongs to an older tradition where the core idea was, indeed, like, Grand Theft Auto is doing well, we're going to take that we're going to take some stuff from the first Assassin's Creeds, and then we're going to throw some Indiana Jones in there, and that's going to be like this exciting experience in and of itself, uh, which is going to do well. Um, so referencing this more serious or referencing these more serious topics uh, like Wolfenstein The New Order does wasn't really on the radar at the time in the AAA space, I think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it very much resides in that older space in that sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... You know, with regard to this topic that you bring up, uh, occupation and collaboration, I'm wondering what do you make of the game's depiction and the game's use of NPCs and random events? Uh, yeah, I think so. This is definitely one of the topics that I find the most interesting to analyze with this game because it is something that in a way feels pretty unique or distinct for open world games. Like if you make an open world game creating this impression of a living environment is one of the core design goals, I would think. So thinking about your NPC design, like what their AI behavior is, is going to become a core consideration for the developers mm -hmm. because they want to create this impression of a living world. 
Now, when they do so, they certainly, with a historical theme, they will also start thinking about how can we infuse that historical element into those NPC designs and the behaviors that they have. Right. Um, I think a very good example uh, is uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, um, uh, the game set in the Assassin's Creed series set in the French Revolution era, um, where I remember the developers talking about, okay, so we have different factions of NPCs and we let them fight each other without intervention of the player. And the reason we do so is we want to kind of create this atmosphere of, oh, there's a revolution going on. <laughs> so yeah. there's, there's very much this historical element that they add in the NPC behavior. Um, so analyzing that for an open world game is like kind of interesting. And I think also in this case, you can very much see some of those elements in there. Um, I guess like the most, like the biggest example is um, if you play through the game, um, like everything is black and white, the atmosphere is very dark, the Nazi occupier is there, but if you then complete some of the objectives in a certain area of the city in Paris, then all of a sudden the, the atmosphere lightens and also the NPC behavior kind of shifts a little bit. So mm -hmm. then all of a sudden some of the NPCs will become more resistant to what the Nazi soldiers are doing in the area. Um, and you can even call in resistance fighters in those locations to help you fight. Um, and I think that's, well, that's kind of interesting because it connects to very old memory discourses um, that created this impression even during the war itself that, for example, uh, France, uh, Charlotte de Gaulle would say this, for example, at the end phase of the war, you know, France was always a nation of resistors. You yeah. know, we were occupied, um, but, you know, that was superficial. It, everyone was in the resistance, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so the NPC design of this game perpetuates that. So it, it yeah. harks back to these old stories from the 40s and it kind of perpetuates them. Um, so in that sense, it's, it's, it tells you a lot about the longevity of some of these older dated memory discourses that still find their ways in games like this. Yeah. I think that that's just like a super interesting thing to kind of unpack uh, with a game like this. Yeah. And, you know, giving the development team, giving the publisher team as well, it's not surprising that they've kind of put forward this very black and white version of yeah. occupation. Yeah. Um, because the topic of collaboration is one that's very difficult to understand. Uh, but then it's Indeed, also, yeah. it, it gets you into a situation of, do you really want to have a game that is historically accurate about something like, uh, you know, collaboration? Because that gets you into very sticky territory when it comes to historical representations, historical depictions. And that's with regards to any you know a historical medium that could be a, a film that could be a documentary yeah. that could be a, a novel um you know anything that touches upon that stuff uh, particularly when it comes to france <laughs> is yeah, a yeah, very yeah, sure. yeah, it's yeah. a very very sticky thing and you know i think a lot of americans uh, north americans in general um, they're not aware of those kind of nuances but they're also kind of a part of, you know, the perception of occupation and the perception of empire being influenced by things like Star Wars, where it's kind of, you know, the, uh -huh. the, the original trilogy of Star Wars, it's very black and white, right? Uh, the bad guys are the yeah, bad yeah, guys, yeah. the good guys are the good guys. And the kind of only vague reference to collaboration is 
with Lando uh, Calrissian. Uh, and so I think yeah, 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 yeah. that kind of, you know, very base level idea of collaboration is is very difficult, at least in terms of uh, fictional uh, settings, very difficult to kind of bridge uh, for most North American audiences. And then it might just be a topic that most developers in general, even European developers, don't really want to touch upon. I think they might yeah, might be uncomfortable yeah. with those kind of ideas. Yeah, the, uh, I think that's definitely the case. And I would also say, so if you have an open world action game, first person or third person, I think that genre is also in a lot of ways not really equipped to do something like this mm -hmm. because the emphasis is so heavily on just, you know, violent interaction with the game world. Um, <laughs> but what I, uh, yeah, right. So, but what I would say though is, uh, and here I'm kind of thinking about, well, uh, I referenced Papers, Please earlier, and it's this classic example at this point, but I do think that Papers, Please, um, it's a different genre, it's a different approach to design, but at the same time, I think that game does something very interesting that is directly relevant for what phenomena like uh, occupation or collaboration are. Um, I think what Papers, Please does pretty well is it puts you in the position of a person that hasn't really chosen a side yet, but due to external constraints or pressures, is kind of pushed to making certain choices mm -hmm. that could put you on a collaborationist path. And so um, what I would say there is um, I would see a real strength of games as a form there because what games can do is through a design like the one for Papers, Please, they can kind of demonstrate how some of these dynamics work, like you interact yes. or you react based on choices. Um, and here I would even say, like, if you have a classic historical narrative, uh, these narratives in a lot of ways are actually not very well equipped to discuss something like this yeah. because the narration is always post-fact, right? Yes. Um, it is, in a way, a rationalization of what happened, in a sense. And, and a game form can kind of put you in this on the moment, in the moment, yes. dynamic interaction. And that's a very strong suit. Uh, so I would say that I totally understand that like third person action games don't do this type of stuff. They're not very equipped for it, but games as a form could actually very much add something that in other forms we're not really able to discuss or explain very well. Um, so in that sense, I would certainly say that the games do offer some possibility for that. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And, you know, thinking back to 2009, I think just in terms of historical games, this game fits in well with the kind of uh, window dressing approach to history that we have yeah. from early Assassin's Creed games. And then I think, yeah. um, you know, Red Dead Redemption 1, which came out around this time. So in yeah, the context yeah. of its age, this game fits in pretty well, but, you know, from, you know, kind of position of uh, educators and scholars, and then certainly maybe even historical game players today, this game kind of suffers <laughs> from, uh, yeah. from hindsight. Um, yeah, so, yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. So I'm wondering, you know, beyond the saboteur, have you noticed any interesting trends with Second World War games, say in the last five years or so? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I would say even the past uh, 10, 15 years. So I, I referenced uh, Wolfenstein New Order earlier. And I mean, you will know this. You've talked about this game yourself also several times, I think. Yes. Um, so I do think that that game, uh, simply how it approached narrative and, and kind of like the topics that it addressed in, in, in one way or another, 
Um, that was kind of like a significant moment also for other games, certainly also in AAA space. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, what I would also say is that over the past five to 10 years, I've seen a lot of initiatives of like smaller studios uh, or independent developers who are very much beginning to explore a much wider range of topics where the Holocaust is definitely becoming very prominent, yes. uh, actually. Um, so that's certainly a key shift that I've seen. Um, and also, like, uh, just on a national level, like, uh, there are examples of games in Norway that I know of, in the Czech Republic that I know of. Um, like, last week, you had the Games for Change Festival. Uh, there was a Danish game about the Second World War or inspired by it that won an award there, I think. So you see that in European countries also specifically, uh, people are delving a little bit more into like, you know, the, the, the national story of, of the Second World War, say, and also turning that into a game form. And this very much is happening within this, yeah, more independent, small-scale game production-like uh, environment. And, and it's pretty exciting to see, actually, because there's a lot of different storylines that begin to pop up in that area. So uh, really, yeah, really looking forward to what's coming next also in that sense. I do too. And yeah, I was thinking you know, some of the uh, developers you've mentioned uh, and, you know, thinking about the kind of centering of different topics in Second World War history, uh, you know, the stuff from um, uh, Paint Bucket Games uh, through the darkest yeah. of times yeah. and then uh, Charles Games uh, with their series about, uh, you know, the Czech uh, experience uh, during the Second World War, uh, you know, Sova Boda 1945 in particular was the most recent title, which was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And having those games, I think, is so important because not only do they focus on different topics with the Second World War, but they're often games that don't require a lot of what you might call gaming literacy in the sense that, you know, uh -huh. if you're talking yeah. about the saboteur, you've got to have the ability to understand open world mechanics but then also yeah, the yeah. physicality of actually controlling a third-person action protagonist, which is yeah. a difficult hurdle. I've got two young kids now, and we've kind of begun to explore uh, the Ratchet and Clank series. And one uh -huh. of the problems yeah. they have is simply using the controls, and in particular, learning how to use on a you know, PlayStation controller, learning how to use the right stick to control the camera, which is something yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. kids would struggle with, but also many, many adults. And so with these indie titles, you're getting games that can be played on a phone, you know, with one thumb, or they can be played with a mouse and keyboard, and they can be played on basically any machine, right? Uh, you know, basically yeah, yeah. any computer that's still operates today you know and that even 10 year old computers could probably run papers please or they could run through the darkest of times and i think that's a really important initiative and uh really exciting yeah absolutely i i fully agree i i would also add like just game length i know that that has yes. been quite a conversation uh in the industry also and and not having a game that takes 15 to 30 hours is just that's big for so many people right so uh, in that sense yeah that's definitely like a very good and important development yeah so are there any topics and you know you can touch upon your own kind of personal history with studying the second world war are there any particular topics with relation to the second world war that you would hope that a developer 
uh, or maybe a developer working with uh, a scholar like yourself, you would yeah. hope that future games would deal with or would tackle with or make an attempt uh, to deal with. Uh, yeah, here I would mostly reference uh, what we talked about earlier as well. Um, so if I think about the situation in the Netherlands specifically, for example, um, around the year 2000, like a big controversy was, uh, well, it surrounded a book that was published by a journalist and that book was called Grijs Verleden or Grey Past in English. Mm -hmm. um, and so, well, it was just a history of the Second World War, but like the title uh, imposed a pretty strong framing on that narrative, which kind of pointed to, well, you know, during the war, people were just doing stuff to survive. You know, it wasn't black and white. It was just morally gray. Um, and it caused quite a controversy at the time because people thought like, oh, but you're just erasing, you know, what a lot of people have done in the resistance and you're just like downplaying all of that. Um, and so just following that conversation, it just pointed to me that this is such a clear example of how narration fails, you mm -hmm. know, like, I mean, yes. I think the, the book made quite some, you know, normal observations, all that, but that framing device steered the conversation in such a clear direction and uh, for me, it feels like games as a form could kind of just like delve into that a little bit and show you some of these processes, also specifically for a Dutch case. So I would actually love to work on a game that kind of tackles that, kind of tackles that occupation, collaboration, you know, that topic, also specifically in a Dutch setting. That, that would be something that I would definitely love to work on or, you know, love to see appear at some point. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm trying to think of my own response to this question. I actually don't have one, so. <laughs> oh yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I think the topic of collaboration is a really good one because I know that's a, a really difficult one for students uh, to understand and to appreciate. And I've been I've been kind of racking my mind. Yeah, you know, but we've got this uh, class here that I teach on historical games and uh, trying yeah. to rack my mind for a good example of that. I've thought about using the saboteur in the past, uh, but kind of felt like it was a bit too outrageous, you know, as we've kind of discussed here. Yeah. Um, but in terms of collaboration, uh, one of the best games that I've found that some students have played um, has been XCOM 2. I don't know if you played the XCOM series, but this is a uh, uh, Firaxis, uh, their real-time strategy uh, yeah, yeah, game yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, yeah. Alien Invasion. And the second uh -huh. game in that, I think, actually does a relatively good job of touching on some of these issues of uh, uh, collaboration and, um, you know, particularly civilian collaboration with an occupying force. But again, then you get into yeah. a situation of, well, how can I translate this uh, near future dystopian alien invasion game to talking about the past and it, that's where it breaks down so uh yeah i haven't oh, well, i haven't figured that out yeah. yet i i do think so uh well so i played xcom 2 and i uh, maybe i haven't gotten to this point so then i would be very curious about that but i i would perhaps add something and that is I do think that we still underestimate how significant fiction can be to make a historical point. Yes. Um, and the reason I would say that is if I think about a game like Through the Darkest of Times, I think that that game does a lot of things very well, and I would recommend it to everyone to play it. But at the same time, so it follows the historical trajectory in a lot of ways pretty closely. Mm -hmm. And if you already have some prior knowledge, say, or then the element of being surprised or something unexpected happens is kind of taken away because of that. 
which is kind of, it seems paradoxical, but I do think that's the case. And having like this fictional setting where you don't really know where it is heading yeah. and then you're operating within that. I do think that that could add a lot actually to how you would address this topic. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing with Through the Darkest of Times, and I, I agree with your recommendation. I think the other thing with it is because it's so historically accurate, there's not really a a good winning scenario for the player. Right. And I think yeah. for us, you know, as scholars, we're already kind of masochists, so it's not a big deal yeah. you know, to lose. But I think for most yeah. players, um, and certainly the students that I've exposed to uh, through the darkest times in class have experienced this, they don't really like to play a game like this. And yeah. I think yeah. you do have to, you know, given the medium that we are focused on, when it comes to a game, I think at the end of the day, it does have to be fun to a certain extent. That's what the expectation yeah. of the player is. And so you do, you would want a game that would deal with these heavy topics, but you would also like to try to find a way to make the experience enjoyable. And I, you know, I, you know, not everybody is into playing dark souls or into playing a yeah, really yeah, yeah, no, no, a really sure. really hard yeah. platformer and so i i think about this yeah. all the time with game development and yeah. uh you know it's certainly yeah. it it seemed it, it's a, it's a much tougher job than it appears yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, from yeah. the no, outside definitely, definitely yeah I, so i i would be a bit double on this in the sense that i i totally get this point and i, I do think that that's also important to draw people in um, on the other hand, I, I really am a fan of like the rhetoric of failure kind of approach mm -hmm. where um, through failure, you convey something quite significant about the topic that you're addressing. I guess like the major point about these rhetorical failure types of games like, you know, September 12th and those classic examples is um, the key point is the failure. And it usually only takes a couple of minutes to get that point across. Yes. So in that sense, it's it's really short games which feel a bit gimmicky in yes. a sense as well so I, I guess there's definitely a design challenge for those types of games to kind of like you know make it more fleshed out in a way yeah uh, yeah yeah well we'll leave that to the experts we'll leave that to the game developers yeah. to try to figure that absolutely. out absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah uh so peter just the last question here what are you playing right now uh historical games or otherwise uh, well, so uh, the past two months were a bit busy, but the, the last game that I completed was The Quarry. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if you know it. It's from yes. the same people who made uh, Until Dawn. Yeah, it was like this uh, pulpy horror yes. kind of interactive movie um, game. Uh, I really loved it. Uh, so that was really great. And um, I'm actually kind of looking forward to... Uh, so PlayStation Plus had some new freebies available, and one of them was about, uh, you know, animal extinction. Uh, you play as a little fox. Uh, extinction is everything is the name of the game, mm. I think. Um, and, like, I'm really looking forward to delve into that one a little bit uh, because it looks really interesting. Also kind of like the message that it wants to convey uh, in terms of, like, environmental politics or something like that. So uh, those would be the games uh, that I would highlight here. That's great. Yeah, I... Um... I have got the quarry downloaded to my PlayStation. I haven't touched it yet, but I was a very, very big fan of Until Dawn. Um, and I think that the difficulty with playing the quarry is that I have to wait until everybody else in my house is asleep. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, sure, obviously yeah. I don't want my kids to see that type of game. But then my wife also yeah. is very averse to horror games, any type of horror. Okay. 
anything spooky, anything, you know, mildly supernatural. She's just completely all the way out. So I can't play it in front of her either. And so it's probably going to be an experience very similar to the way I played until dawn, which is waiting Uh until about 11 o'clock at night and then playing for a couple Uh hours. Uh, So that'll be, that'll be difficult, but I'm glad to hear that you give it a recommendation because uh, I love that style of game. And I thought until dawn worked really, really well and uh, some great performances in that. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to get to play that. Yeah, so definitely warmly recommend it. And I do say, like, uh, 11 at night is a good setting for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Peter, well, thank you so much uh, for joining me on this episode uh, yeah, of History Respawn. All right. Uh, until next time, listener, goodbye. Goodbye.